Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Sarah Rose Siskind, a comedy TV and science writer, comedian, and psychedelic educator. She was the head writer for Neil deGrasse Tyson's Emmy-nominated TV show, Star Talk, and has written comedy for UCB, Fox, CBS, and the White House Press Correspondence Dinner. Sarah is also the co-founder of Hello SciComm, a company that helps STEM professionals express their ideas in a way that is clear, accessible, and engaging. She is also the writer, producer, and host of Drug Test, a psychedelic show that takes on different drugs with experts weighing in on what's going on in the brain on each compound. We are very excited to welcome Sarah to the Vine. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you, Sarah. You are definitely one of our favorite people that we've met in higher medicine. And um, we're just hoping you can start out by telling us about your journey growing up in California, studying at Harvard, and then your foray into into the psychedelic space. Like, how did all that go down? How did it happen? Oh boy, where to begin? Well, <laughs> um, in 2018, I was bit by a radioactive psychedelic spider, um, and I turned into what I am now. No, um, before I get into the whole, before I get into the whole story, when you guys emailed me um, to be on this podcast, I thought you were emailing me to be on a Vine, which is like an old social media app called Vine, and I was like, I think that's defunct now. <laughs> I know you're old, uh, Elizabeth, but. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, okay, how did I get into psychedelics? Um, well, like a lot of people, I was at the end of my rope. Um, that's where a lot of psychedelic stories begin. Um, I was depressed um, in a way that I think just wasn't just pharmacological, but also kind of spiritual. And that's where psychedelics can help in a way that sometimes pharmaceuticals fall short. Um, and I, I found that Frankie, frankly, LSD and MDMA really helped. Um, and I kind of got thrown into the world, um, after a, uh, drug use case gone, gone awry where I thought I was taking MDMA and I had actually taken, um, fentanyl and PCP as it turned out, um, oh which God. I don't recommend. And, um, I, almost died. I was paralyzed for about eight hours. And when I didn't die, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I woke up the next day or I was discharged from the hospital the next day. And in, I eventually, strangely enough, found the guy who had sold me the contaminated drugs and discovered that he, he didn't know himself that uh, the, the, the MDMA was in fact not what he had purchased. And I, in that moment, forgave him, which was something I'm not very good at doing. (laughs) And I realized that there's a drug education problem rather than a malevolence problem. And so when I got back uh, to the real world, I uh, started doing a show about drug education that's trying to replace the drug education we were promised and didn't get in high school. And it's done in a very fun setting, harm reductionist approach. Um, I have a bunch of scientists on. 
I am, you know, a comedian, so I'm the dumb dumb. I don't claim to have any special knowledge, but I try to take what they they advocate and what they do in their research and uh, make it accessible to the lay public, the general public, but also make it entertaining for psychonauts and veteran veteran users. And so that's my foray into the, the world of psychedelics. Um, and I've done a bunch of things since then, a lot of uh, comedy for fundraisers for psychedelic nonprofits. I'm trained as a, um, a, a trip sitter for, um, you know, particularly bad psychedelic experiences. And I speak at conferences and I get to meet absolute awesome weirdos like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, how we got to meet you or how I at least first um, saw you um, through the digital world was you were hosting Charlie Winninger's um, digital book launch party, which again, because of the pandemic, if it was happening in real life would have probably happened in Brooklyn and I wouldn't have been able to be a part of it. But since it was during the pandemic and it was able to be online, I just thought that it was so fantastic to be able to have some comedy and attend a book launch through the computer. And then the fact that he actually like signed his name on a piece of like a little like sticker and put it in the mail so I could add it to his uh, listening to ecstasy book was just so awesome. But when we met, you were like, okay, how can we continue to follow what Sarah does living in, you know, Pittsburgh and Maryland? And so we saw that you were offering your drug test, um, digitally and streaming them. And so we're like, all right, well, now we can, you know, Elizabeth and I could be on the phone, you know, having our popcorn and watch it from there. So I'm really excited that we're going to get to see your show in real life in New York City um, this coming week um, as a part of kind of like the whole Horizons festivities that's happening in New York City. So just was really excited to chat with you about it. Wanted to see if you could chat a little bit about, you know, how you kind of got in, got started with this. And, you know, we've attended, a, you know, a couple of these we want to dive in and talk, but what should we expect for this upcoming event? Yeah. Okay. So the main difference for in-person versus online is that you'll probably have things thrown at you. <laughs> um, the first two rows, it's a little bit like a Harlem Globetrotters situation. It was a lot of like buckets of glitter. I actually got a note from my producer that was like, you have to stop throwing stuff at the audience. <laughs> The maintenance crews to clean it up. Um, I do like to make it physical. I like to keep people like on their toes and like, you know, I try to be the fun teacher, um, you know, who's interactive. And so um, there's that. Mm -hmm. And like, actually, the biggest thing um, I'm sorry to say that is missed by the virtual element is the after party. So it's frankly just like people like I had uh, after a, a show I wasn't too happy with. I had one of my guests, a beautiful uh, psychotherapist by the name of Andrew Tatarski, uh, comfort me by saying, you know, Sarah, it's not just about the individual shows. You're building a scene. And that just really cut through the darkness and just made my heart explode with happiness because that's what I'm trying to do on a real sense is like the show I'm super passionate about. But uh, for the for a lot of the attendees, it's building the scene afterwards, you know, so come, um, come with an open mind and a heart and you'll meet a lot of like-minded souls. And I'm really excited about this next show because it's super weird, even for my level, <laughs> um, which is, I was, I was like brainstorming with, with Kevin Baltic actually, and the founder of the Horizons conference that immediately precedes my show. 
And I was like, you know, by the end of the week, people are going to be kind of scienced out and maybe even a little bit strictly psychedelics out. So I was like, but there's all these beautiful ancillary activities people engage in because of their love of psychedelics. And what if I did a whole show that's just a variety show of psychedelic inspired arts and activities? And so that's what the show is. It includes you know, comedy from me and a great comedian named Adam Strauss includes a spoken word poem from uh, a couple of shamans, actually, who conduct ceremonies. So you could see what that's like, how, you know, ayahuasca and mushrooms um, influence their spoken word poetry and their music. And then also there's going to be something super weird I'm very excited about, (laughs) which I haven't announced um, on I think like even on my newsletter may have announced on social media, but um, there's going to be a, a talk by William Leonard Pickard, who is the Jesus of acid, Uh, you know, Google him for sure. He did hard time for decades um, for uh, distribute for creating and distributing a large percentage of the world's uh, LSD supply. And is one of the most spiritual people I've ever met. He's going to do a talk. Well, a friend of mine who's an incredible interpretive dancer is going to um, convert his words to movement. And it's just going to be a really beautiful improvisational collaboration that I'm super, super psyched about. And then finally, headlining the event, Rick Doblin is talking to me about wolf rearing. So a couple of years ago, Rick sent me a photo of him with his wolf, Phaedrus. They're both naked. Um, wolves don't usually wear clothing, but humans do. <laughs> and uh, he I, he's going to explain how why he raised a wolf and how that has influenced his approach to psychedelics, his tripping, how his psychedelics have influenced his wolf rearing. And uh, yeah, that's going to be there too. So you should come. <laughs> it's awesome. So I was able to stream your ketamine show. And as I told you and wrote to you, it was truly one of the best productions online that I've seen. And um, I just wondered if you could give our listeners some background on that show and then uh, explain what what happened and then what it was like to do your integration in front of a live audience. (laughs) I mean, that was quite something, Sarah. That was a really raw show for me. The past two shows have been kind of raw. So I'm really excited that this next one's going to be just like a little bit more other people focused. Um, So for the clinical ketamine show, I had a ketamine infusion at the Nushama Clinic in in New York City. Really, really wonderful space. Um, And it was probably the most intense. Um, I would say maybe top two most intense psychedelic experiences I've ever had. Um, It was bizarre on top of just the intensity of the trip because I was in a medical office with an anesthesiologist right there. And I felt so safe, but also like so controlled and so clinical, which was just so different from any other experience I had. Um, I'm still processing just the prop, like just the, the context, let alone the the substance and the experience. So I had that done. And then even more bizarrely, I filmed it. 
and I put it up on the YouTube and I showed the, the clip on my show. And then since it had been about two weeks uh, after I'd done the session and when the show began, I had on Dr. Andrew Tatarski to do a live integration with me, which I did not, this was his idea. And I was like, all right, let's see how this goes. Um, it was really, it was surprisingly intense. I was worried that I was going to just go into like defensive comedian mode, which is like how a lot of comedians get their start is just a, frankly a coping mechanism. But um, he really led me into some vulnerable spaces and it was kind of meta because one of the things we talked about was how uh, I worry that since I've kind of gone public with my um, psychedelic journeying, that it is robbing me of some of the authenticity of the experience itself. You know, I do, there are times where I've tripped without a camera there, to be clear. Uh, but, you know, there's a performative exhibitionist element that I'm, like, worried about personally. And um, Andrew talked me through that, which was great. And he gave me also just the greatest word I've ever experienced, or greatest term. It's called ulping. Ulping stands for the upper limit problem. And it's when you experience something so good that it goes against your narrative of how you and the world are supposed to work. And so your brain kind of malfunctions. And that happens a lot to me. So that was like um, just extraordinarily valuable in and of itself. But then I had on this amazing researcher named Elias Dakwar, who's like the foremost ketamine researcher in the world and is also the most mysterious Buddha-like man I've ever <laughs> interacted with. And he was an interesting contrast to Andrew because he brought in not just the science, but also he expressed articulately the concern about how to introduce powerful chemicals like psychedelics to the public like, what is the distribution method? And it's a really strong reflection on, you know, free markets and our medical system. And um, it's kind of scary because the clinic where I got my infusion, if I didn't, um, you know, if they didn't, if they hadn't given it to me for free, uh, would have cost about $1,000. It's uh, $4,000 for six sessions as a packet. And that's really prohibitive for a lot of people. Um, cause it's not covered by insurance yet unless you have chronic pain. So Elias talked about, you know, what are we going to do to make sure it's an ethical rollout? And I thought that was really beautiful. The guys at Nushama are also like interested in that conversation too. So it's something everybody in the psychedelic community is talking about. And with ketamine, it's the drug at the forefront. And that's why that show was really one of my favorites because it, was personal, it was scientific, and it was also ethical slash political. So I was very proud of that one. Thanks for thanks for asking me about it. <laughs> when you put yourself out there, it was very vulnerable um, to give yourself just like so we. You could tell, like we, could, I could just see you on stage being like, "Am I really going to do this right now? Like I'm going to press play, and this is going to really be like." But I, I feel like seeing that in its authenticity was what really was so impactful and so incredible. So I thank you for that. Um, I did want to make sure we had some time to talk about your 
SciComm company because I just think that this is so cool. I have an eight-year-old daughter who wants to be a scientist and just being, you know, um, a female trying to get into STEM I know is is difficult, but then to know that you're a female-run business that's going in and talking with these companies. So if you can please just tell us more about what you're doing to like help make science fun for all these different companies. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I'm very I'm surprisingly very proud of my own company too. Um, you know, what's it like talking with um, a grad student about their dissertation or a scientist about their project? It's usually terrible. Uh, no offense, they're very boring a lot of the time. And what makes the difference between, you know, um, a Neil deGrasse Tyson and a Neil Hudson? Haven't heard of Neil Hudson? Exactly. That's the difference. Neil Hudson is a person I made up, but it's a very boring scientist in my head. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson, on the other hand, is just an excellent communicator. And part what part of what he does is he's able to harness his own enthusiasm for his subject matter, the cosmos. And working alongside him for so many years, it was just utterly infectious. And he put in the work to, frankly empathize with where his audience is coming from because a lot of scientists forget empathy is like the secret sauce to communication because they don't realize that their audience doesn't know what an EMP stands for or whatever it is. And you have to shift your frame to another person. And that's why I love doing what I do is because I both am uh, a big advocate and a fan of science, but also a layman. And I can I have a, gra- a grasp of what the audience knows or doesn't know because it's something you're trained to do as a comedian. You can't make a joke about deep cut psychedelic references to an audience uh, that's super conservative and has never tripped before because they don't understand those references. But scientists um, can be kind of bad at that, and they spend most of their lives trying to be taken seriously. You know, they get their PhDs, they try to work for big institutes, they get, they have to apply constantly for grants. And, you know, to do that, you kind of have to show like, I'm a serious person. But when they get to talking to laymen, to audiences where they're trying to persuade or entertain, they, they get caught up in their own desire to be taken seriously. And I think, frankly, that kind of attitude has, um, like made a lot of women shy away because women are very empathetic and a lot of fields um, could represent their field differently. Like I, we have a client who's a cybersecurity expert and um, she's a woman of color. And one of her missions is to democratize cybersecurity. And she's finding that like, you know, cybersecurity as a field, like when companies are hiring, they don't ever frame things in terms of the actual people that get protected by good cybersecurity measures. They only talk about the tech. And she realized that's because it's a male-dominated field. And field. And the more women who get introduced, the more they talk about the human aspect of this particular branch of knowledge. And you know, we help her to communicate those ideas in funny memes and blog posts and speeches. And it's just been a real joy. But we have a lot of different clients, like AI people's a huge uh, area for our, for us, social robotics. We had a couple of weeks working with a bear safety expert, <laughs> which was probably my favorite. Um, you know, we've worked with places at U Chicago and Honda and like 
Anson Robotics, all these like cool bananas companies that I just fall in love with. And so, yeah, that's my company. I'm super passionate about it. HelloSci.com. Check us out. Awesome. So from your vantage point, what is the most exciting thing that you're seeing for this psychedelic renaissance? Like what you, you have this great view, right. Of, of what all these companies and these people are doing. Yeah, it's a really great question. And maybe it's just because I'm in the headspace for my upcoming show, but I'm really interested in the secondary consequences, which is to say psychedelics themselves, um, are incredibly mysterious, awesome compounds. And I'm, I take a broad view of psychedelics outside just tryptamines and include a lot of other drugs. Um, what is exciting to me is the, the revolution in culture and processes in healing. What that means is it's extremely rare that you have a promising medicine where you take it once with a therapist, and that's it. You have integrations, but that's it. We have a pharmaceutical model where you take a pill every day. And this is something very different. And frankly, it's why the free market aspect is important is because taking a pill every day is obviously remunerative to the pill maker. Taking a medicine once and not again poses a dilemma for um, companies that are going to distribute this medicine. And so there's going to have to be, frankly, a revolution in the distribution of psychedelics as a form of healing, which I'm very excited about because what's great, I'm an optimist. And I'm an optimist because I think the psychedelics themselves allow people greater depths of empathy um, and greater um, sort of cognitive horizons, expands your mind so that you can be more creative in coming up with better modes of distribution and more empathetic in your goals. So I'm optimistic about, you know, the growth of public benefit corporations, of um, nonprofit models, of many different kinds of um, distributions of these methods, of these medicines, and um, just how they affect the people who take them. You know, whether you're a interior designer or a legislator, um, you know, there will be consequences, um, good consequences, I hope, from how these medicines expand your mind. And unlike in the 19th, late 1960s, where there was a really difficult clash of generations, I think that there's a slower process at work that is a little bit more deliberate, that is hopefully more loving. And so I, I think that psychedelics will are the promise at least they're not a panacea, but they are a promise to help us forgive our past, you know, because we, as a human race are not perfect and come up with better models in the future for how to live. So it's kind of a big, big grandiose idea, but I'm, I can't help but be a super optimist about how psychedelics are going to gradually transform society. And you you write with psychology today Correct. And like, so oh, yeah. are you're kind of in both worlds here. Are you writing specifically about psychedelics each time or are you kind of writing about other things as well? Because I think that that's um, something we should definitely chat about. Yeah, I love um, I love psychology today. My I love it because 
um, I got the blog by talking with my editor, who is Hara Estroff Morano. She is the smartest, most like wisecracking 80 year old woman I've ever met. She is such a character. And I remember pitching this, this column to her It's called tripping 2.0, it's, you know, a way to revolutionize, revolutionize our thinking about how we trip. And I was so nervous. And I, I probably rambled for like five minutes before finally saying, and it's about psychedelics. <laughs> I don't even know what I talked for, for like five minutes before saying what the whole column is about. And she was just like, sounds awesome. You know, it's a very promising medicine. Like I've been kept up to date with the science and she's now writing the cover story for psychology today about psychedelics. And it was just so like the people on their staff are so smart and on top of the trends. And like, they're such realists. Um, And what I like about them, frankly, at psychology today is that it's a very it's two things. One is a very grassroots organization. Like there's lots of different kind of bloggers all over the world. And I thought I would be shunned by not being a PhD, but they were like, you provide an interesting perspective as a comedian and a exhibitionist uh, patient. <laughs> and so they were accepting of me. And I like that because they're super um, decentralized. And then um, secondly, what I like about them is they're kind of anti-hype. And like hype is like a really big thing in the psychedelics world where like what hype means is people are implicitly bragging about class and um, popularity. And they, you know, they're not doing it explicitly a lot of the time. They're doing it implicitly, you know, like which companies are you invested in? Which parties are you going to? Who do you know? And it's creating a sort of high school dynamic sometimes. (laughs) And what I love about psychology today is they're like, we've seen so many different medicine hypes. We've seen so many different psychology hypes. You've got to prove with science and with good reasoned arguments that this is a medicine worth considering over Prozac. Um, and I really like that because it's, it's realistic to how most of America is thinking. So cool. So, I mean, we could go on all day with you. Um, Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, you know, how can they find out more about your company, about your shows, how to attend, all that good stuff. Well, um, in the words of Ram Das, follow me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> my name is Sarah Rose Siskind. I'm unfortunately very Googleable. Um, and so there's that. You can check out my company with hellosci.com. The company's called HelloSciCom. We thought we were being really cute by doing HelloSci.com, but everyone ends up calling us HelloSci, which is annoying. Um, anyway, HelloSci.com, um, Google, you know, drug test with Sarah Rose Siskin. And so all the information's there. You can follow me on uh, that show on Facebook or get on my, even better, get on my email newsletter because the newsletter is where it's at. Like that's where I'm trying to develop the scene because I'll give you discounts for things like Horizons um, conference and I'll talk about screenings of coming as well as my own show. Um, I've got about, I think like a 600 people on there or something. So it's like a fun, it's a fun community. So how do we sign up for the newsletter? You just go to my website, drug test with Sarah Rose and um, it's on there. 
I think I just forward all the emails that I get to Elizabeth. That's why she's asking how (laughs) to get on your email blast because she doesn't miss any of the information. You know, we're on it. We're on it. But for our listeners, you know, you have to check out this show. If you're not in the New York City area, you have the opportunity to stream it. So be sure to do that. And we are going to be with you at the Horizons Conference, looking forward to an entire week of this. And I really think that the variety show is such such a perfect way on Saturday night after a week long of different classes and clinical research days and stuff to be able to, you know, mix some dance and some spoken word into it and like remind us that this is really truly a community and it's just been so wonderful to get to know you and to chat with you and we look forward to spending some time with you and actually getting to attend one of these after parties so i mean where it's at and you know we will sit in the first couple rows in case there's something to be thrown at you can throw it at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely oh man you got to come to the show though to find out where the after party is okay great. there okay. you go all right there we you have go. our tickets. <laughs> well, we want to thank you again so much. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Vine, a plant media project podcast. Thank you to Sarah Rose for joining us on today's show. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around plant medicine. Mm-hmm.